From the brains behind Teal the Show, this is Teal the Podcast, your source for Jaguars news and analysis with NFL insider Mark Brunel and your host, Cole Pepper. We welcome you into Teal the Podcast, recording this on an absolutely picture-perfect day in Jacksonville. Uh, This is why we live in Jacksonville in uh, late March. It is not too hot, not too cold. It's perfect cold. You can hear the birds chirping, perhaps. A little breeze coming off the water. This is the way to do it. Which means, of course, it's time to talk some football. (laughs) (laughs) Which also means this is the reason why I have not left this chair on my back porch (laughs) all day long. You, You have recently returned, though, from the NFL meetings in uh, Arizona. A little bit of background here. The league alternates East Coast, West Coast where these are held. Last year was in Orlando. Um, I was down for that. It's an interesting experience. That was the first time I'd been. It's an interesting experience. It was for me um, because you see everybody, right? It's, it's sort yep. of like uh, you know a homecoming of sorts. You see everybody in broadcasting, coaches, GMs, um, ran into Mark Dominic, uh, former classmate of mine, the former Buccaneers GM. I like Mark ESPN. Dominic. I do too. I worked with him up at ESPN. Yeah. He's one of my uh, best friends up there. Just enjoyed getting to know him, going to dinner. Great guy. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him in several years. And uh, I didn't know you knew Mark. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were uh, so my um, college roommate and he were, were buddies in high school. Would that be at Kansas? At Kansas. Okay. Uh, and so, little story here. When Mark got a, his first leg into the NFL, it was as an intern for the scouting department for the Chiefs. And he would, uh, this was probably a year after he had been there, he'd been there for a little while, he would bring home tapes and scouting reports to work on. And probably, this is probably not allowed, but. My buddy and I would be over there. They were, uh, Mark and my buddy were, were roommates in an apartment in, in Kansas City at the time. And um, so we'd stop over there. We'd look at scouting film. and Fun. And so that's, that's, cool. that's how I got my first exposure to how NFL scouting is done. I also take credit, by the way, for, him, for the Buccaneers drafting Mike Allstott. Oh, my, really? When Mark was um, a scout with the Bucks. Uh, I'm sure there's no other way they possibly would have noticed Mike Allstott. No chance. I mean, he really under the radar there. player. Right. Yep. But um, I said, hey. Purdue guy, right? Purdue. Yeah. Uh, I said, this guy is not just a big hoss. He's got some, some nimbleness to you, you know. And he said, oh, I'll take a look at him. And it was, you know, one of those things like, you know, I, I was 22 years old or something trying to be impressive. And uh, lo and behold, a few months later. They got him. They got him, and he became a Bucks legend. So. Um, but interesting, small world. Cole it Pepper. is well in the NFL world is a small world, and, and it really is sort of exemplified with things like the the annual meetings. Um, I thought it was interesting what Doug Marone said. One of the things that happens at these things, um, kind of breakfast, breakfast with Doug. Breakfast with Doug. They put the 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 big round table, and reporters can walk up, and you'd have you know. Uh, if, when, it, when it's here in Florida, you have a lot more Jaguars media covering it. But out there, you had Jaguars.com, and you, I saw Pete Prisco was out there and some other folks. And um, 
don't know if the paper sent anybody or not, but um, you get to sit in a, in a somewhat more casual atmosphere, although I never feel like Doug Marone's press conferences are all that formal. Honestly, you know, it's he's pretty laid back with his right. with his stuff. You would think for Doug Marone, they'd just be a table and everybody'd have to crack open a beer or something like that. I'd be out. all right with that. <laughs> I could do that. Doug would be all right yep. with that, I'm sure. Uh huh. So Get more out of him, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I think a couple of comments really stood out to me, and I wanted to get your yeah response to it. One was he was asked about tweaking the defense and about. And he said, yeah, there's some things I want to do schematically so we're not so predictable, so people don't know. From a personnel standpoint, the Jaguars appear to have all of their positions. At least they have answers at all the starting positions there's on offense There's no real... No, a gaping hole. Gaping hole is a perfect way to put it. You don't really know how the free safety position is going to play out for sure, but there's candidates there. Um maybe some depth at defensive tackle, but in terms of the starters, you, you pretty much know what it's yeah. going to look like. You and I could probably get 9 out of 11, probably 10 out of 11. Pro- and maybe 11 out of 11. Maybe 11 out of 11. Depending on how, how it plays out. So how, what do you think this defense is going to look like, and how is it going to be different heading into 2019? Because it, it's pretty clear that the Jaguars recognize that uh, as dominant as they were in 2017 defensively making those plays, that put a bullseye on on that unit for coaches to try to figure out how to attack the Jags defensively. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say. You know, what, speak to what Doug is thinking. First of all, you got a, uh, an offensive head coach that says he wants to make some tweaks to the defense. All right. Remember, he brought in Dom Capers, and that's where I was yeah. going. You know, and maybe that's the reason, and that would make perfect sense. Why do you bring in a, a Dom Capers? Now, I don't think. Dom's role is to step in and, you know, be the number one voice. I think Dom Capers was brought in to just come alongside Todd Wash and offer some ideas and, and give him some things to consider. Dom Capers has been around for a, for a long time. Mm-hmm. and um, But specifically, it's, it, it, it's hard for me to say, and obviously Doug's not going to get, but listen, if it isn't broke, I don't know why you would try to fix it. I mean, you can have the tweak the scheme and come up with some different ideas. But really, ultimately, we've talked about this, Cole, is that, you know, if you got the players, you can have a good defense. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you can put them in the right positions to succeed. But I wouldn't expect, if he's tweaking, to do a complete overhaul, you know, change the whole defensive philosophy. Yeah. Because that's, you know, you got a core group of guys on defense. And I, I would think that, you know, that would be considerably risky to just – Try something new. Well, let me Pretty think. Good defense already. It is, and it has been a good defense. Uh, it was a great defense in 2017. It was a good defense in 2018. I do want to kind of pick apart a couple of things that and how that might impact the draft mm-hmm. for the Jaguars because you look at the draft and right now the most common guy that the Jaguars are being mocked to or being mocked to the Jaguars is Juwan Taylor, the right tackle at Florida. Right. Which would certainly fill a need. Yep. Makes sense. It makes sense. That seems to be about the spot where he's... Some, I saw somebody had him listed as the third best prospect overall. I think that feels a little high, but, you know, if somebody thinks he's that good, he's, you right. know... Does anybody really know? Getting back to first-round picks. Right. Top ten. Does anybody really know? And what's the difference... No, between, nobody does. What's the difference between three and eight anyway, right? I mean, right. It, um, so... 
Some years it may be something, some years it may not be anything at all. So the point being, if, they're not, if, the, if it's not that, is there a chance that they would pick somebody on defense, and specifically in the defensive line? This is a very deep defensive line, top half of the first round, both with your you know, defensive tackles, with traditional 4-3 ends, as well as edge guys who right. could be either outside backers in a 3-4 or uh, kind of speed rushers more in the, in the mold of maybe what Dante, the role that Dante Fowler filled or that Ngakwe fills a little bit uh, to some extent. Knowing Tom Coughlin's love of having defensive ends, remember he basically had four defensive ends that he played at the same time at one point with the Giants. Right. I don't think we should completely out of hand dismiss the thought that the Jaguars could draft a defensive end with the seventh pick of the draft. I do not disagree with you. Now, I would, uh, can I be surprised if they do it, but not be, but, uh, not be surprised? Is that, is that possible? Um, uh, yes. Prob- what what color is, is that possible. fence that you're sitting on? <laughs> Listen, there's, there's an overall need on the offensive side of the ball. Two needs, in my opinion. I think it's, I think it's a wide receiver, and I think it's a tackle. I do. I think, I think there's needs at tight end. I think we need another running back. I think there's enough argument on the offensive side of the ball to make for getting some, an offensive guy. Now, to depart from that and get a defensive guy, I guess I would be surprised. But at the same time, with the draft, if there's a guy that you're just absolutely in love with, mm-hmm. that your surprise is there at number seven, a game changer through all the valuations, you're shocked that this player is right here. And let's say he's that edge rusher, speed guy, powerful, he's got it all. You mentioned there's a lot of guys. And if they pulled the trigger, that's what I mean by I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand what you're saying. Disagree with me. I, say, I know what you mean. No, I understand Thank what you're you. saying. Because the draft But is stop crazy. hedging, you pansy. <laughs> let's go. I told you I was right. <laughs> I told you. I, I wasn't surprised. <laughs> Wait, I was surprised. But I wasn't. <laughs> The, but golly, <laughs> this is, and if we're going to talk about the draft, you brought in Nick Foles. Yeah. All right. There are no question marks at quarterback, but we said it on the last three podcasts. If you're going to bring Nick Foles, surround him with good players. You have to. We've mentioned this. He's, he's, he's had elite moments, but he's not an elite quarterback. All right, but from a quarterback's perspective... Do Aren't we own, good enough on that side of the ball? Do you well? Top ten I right now. Okay, is top that, ten right now. Is that good enough? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely so then good th- enough. Th- then this goes to the question. Let's say Juwan Taylor is drafted before the Jaguars get there. There's not another offensive tackle in their evaluation. I mean, yep. If yep. Yeah, could, that, that could doesn't be, fit there. Right. Yeah. Right. So now you either look at taking a tight end at seven, even though there are some very good tight ends in this draft as well. Yep. I seven. Boy, would you take Tony Gonzalez with a seventh pick? Absolutely. All day long. Would you take Rob Gronkowski with a seventh pick? All day long. Sure. Would you take Travis Kelsey with a seventh pick? All day long. Okay. You just don't know if they'll turn out to that. Right. <laughs> well, but I mean, that you have, or any player, any player. My point is, round. though, if if he's going to be that kind of an if it's T.J. Hawkinson or whoever is going to be the impact tight end there, then okay, I'm I can go along with that. Right. Um. I've always been a fan of utilizing the tight end in an offense. Mm-hmm. The I'm Jaguars have not done it that much. You had a couple of really good tight ends uh, in your days here with Kyle Brady and Pete Mitchell, different types of tight ends, yep. but guys who you, you utilized uh, in, in various roles. Um, so 
I'm not against the tight end. Is is there a receiver that you you know at number seven? If you could take Andre Johnson or Calvin Johnson or DeAndre Hopkins, you would do it in a second. Right. But would you take a Keenan McCardell with the seventh pick of the draft? At the like who we know Keenan McCardell to be? Yeah. Absolutely. You'd take that, right? Absolutely. So it's not. I mean, the, and and if you know that guy is there, uh, go ahead and get him. I'm not sure that there's a receiver that fits in that yeah. spot either. Yeah, you're right. So th- this again, you, if you if you just take a a, a big board uh, from somebody, uh, take your old teammate Bucky Brooks who does one on on mm-hmm. NFL Network. Yep. Um, and you start looking, it is that top fifteen. There are there are more defensive linemen than there are not defensive linemen. Yeah. So. It's very possible whether it's an edge rusher or, def- or a defensive tackle or, or, or a standard 4-3 end could be there. And if you do get him and bring him in, that's a guy that even as a non-starter can impact a game rushing the passer on third down. Sure. Um, I don't think that taking a defensive player at another position probably makes a lot of sense other than somebody who can rush the passer, get after the quarterback. Right. Because... You know, a linebacker is not going to make that kind of an impact in, in this scheme. You're not going to supplant Jalen Ramsey or A.J. Boye, despite my earlier thought of what happens if you wanted to move Jalen to free safety, safety which mm-hmm. I, I, there doesn't seem to be any traction on that. Um, and if you don't, I think that the two things, the two biggest mistakes that are made in drafting are thinking that you're just one guy away and that you're going to draft that guy who's going to be your difference maker. Mm-hmm. See, also... Derek Harvey. Right. That was a huge mistake. They traded up to take that one guy, traded away draft picks, and it wound up being the beginning of the end for Jack Del Rio. The, the other mistake that's made is that you draft for your need right now without an eye toward what happens in the next two, three, four years when you know you're going to have that guy on your roster. For the Jaguars, and this is where we've talked about how immediate pressure could impact their their approach rather right. than midterm pressure where you're looking to, to build an established thing. With a salary cap where it is with the Jaguars right now, at some point they're going to have to make a decision on Yannick Ngakwe and Jalen Ramsey. Those are two big contracts that are going to be coming up at some point, right. and you'd like to have some kind of leverage just in case on those guys. Uh, that's why I don't think a, a pass rusher is out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, um, it's a possibility, Culpepper. It's a possibility, but you're talking to a quarterback. I am, and I will lose my mind if they don't get someone. <laughs> if they don't get someone to to uh, to help the offense, doesn't it seem like, as far as philosophy going forward on offense and defense, actually just kind of a team philosophy from Tom and Doug, and I could be wrong. We had talked about you know what's this offense going to look like. It looks like it's going to be. Uh, strong on defense, all right. A lot of talk about how Leonard Fournette looks good, and he's working hard. He's getting back to being who Leonard was. Uh, offensive line healthy and strong. No real guys, skill position. There's nothing that really jumps out at you. Mm-hmm. It seems like nothing's really going to change, even with the addition of Nick Foles and Justin and John DeFilippo. Well, so now you know what I mean. I think you'll see more shotgun. You'll probably see. I agree with that. Some more. Um, R- movement. RPO movement, yeah, kind of yeah. some things that you saw with Nick and Philly. I, I agree with that. I think you'll see that. Um, 
but I do think it's still going to be a start with the run, work off play action concept. Yep. And I don't know that the concept... I mean, you could pick a part and find a play here or a quarter here uh, with oh, Nathaniel the Hackett, right? There, but there's if nothing you, new under the sun. If you execute, if you, put the, if you make the right read yep, you're right. and put the ball where you want to put it, which is something that Foles has done very well the last two years yep. under pressure in, in big, big moments, if you put the ball where you're supposed to put it, that offense looks a whole lot better than sure. if the guy isn't a natural thrower of the football. For instance, right, you know, and he's not yep. putting it where, where he needs to, and he doesn't maybe rise to the occasion in pressure situations and these other things. So, what's would be funny is that if and when Nick Foles does well and he's completing passes and scoring points, they will be talking. The fans will be talking about it. Probably a lot of media members. Boy, these new schemes. Boy, John D. Filippo. It's the same stuff. They're running the same dang stuff I ran 20 years ago. There's really not other than the RPOs. Even those past concepts. Mm-hmm. Are pretty much the same, yeah. you know. But when you hit it and you're successful with it, oh, these new ideas. The difference is now we got a quarterback that can, to your point, well, think about complete it. Complete passes, and he's on time. He's on accurate, making good decisions. That makes things look a whole lot different. There are 11 guys on offense. Five of them are blocking, at least. Mm-hmm. So one of them is throwing the football. So in a passing play, it's what are the, those other five guys doing? And there's only so many ways you can move those guys around. Start them here. Start them there. Forget about position. Just put bodies right. And, okay, you can put four guys on this side and one guy on that side, and whatever it is. But it's still football. It's not right. open warfare with a million troops, right? Yeah. So, uh, to your point, I, it's, I think that, and I, I, we've had this conversation before, you need the horses to do it on defense, and on offense you need, you need players who can execute the plan. Yep. And does it, does it make a difference if you have a superior athlete at running back? Or at wide receiver, if you have a, a 6'5 guy who, you know, if you have Randy Moss who can run and jump and catch, sure, that makes a difference in some of those plays. But in a lot of the plays that ran, you know, a lot of touchdowns that Randy Moss caught, Jimmy Smith was going to make that catch. Sure. Keenan McCardell was yeah. going to make that catch. Chris Carter was going to make whatever, you know, take your pick, as long as they're playing at a high level. So, anyway, I think that was interesting. The other thing on the defensive side I wanted to touch on, Doug Marone was asked at the meetings about whether the signing of Jake Long was going to, uh, Jake Ryan rather, was going to allow the Jaguars to move Miles Jack back to the outside. And Doug's response was, and I'm paraphrasing here, well, Miles is such a great athlete that if we play him at Sam or we play him at Will or we play him at Mike, he could be the best guy at any of those positions. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not doubting Miles Jack's athletic ability. Uh, I think that moving him to the end, and, and the other thing Doug said, moving him to the middle last year allowed him to learn better all the responsibilities. Sure. He didn't directly answer the question, but, he, but the way he answered it led me to believe that we're likely to see in those three linebacker situations, you know, first down, second and medium, that we may see Miles outside. Uh, I think he's better outside than he is in the middle. Well, Jake Ryan's going to play the only place that Jake Ryan can play. We know that. Yeah. They didn't sign him to find out where he, what he can do. Uh, and if that's, if that's the middle, if that's the Mike Backer in the middle, guess what? Now we're in a position where Miles has to. So I think 
Uh, listen, I'm not saying that Doug's not telling the truth, but I think it's almost like you know, covering a little bit. You're 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 going to see Miles on the outside somewhere, and guess what? He's going to be great at it. Whether he, that's actually true or not, I think he, I think he's athletic enough. We all think he's athletic enough, and he's learned a lot the last few years where he certainly can be something. But I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Jake goes in the middle, and and uh, Miles goes outside, and you leave. Miles and Telvin in, in there on nickel and uh, yeah. situations and so forth. I and think they're a little down on Telvin. Oh, do you? Yeah. Just some, some rumblings. All right. Yeah, just kind of disappointed. And Based on, on play the, on or the, behavior? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there were some times. A lot, that, of, lot of talk. I, yeah. A lot of talk. I thought there were some times this past year where Telvin was sort of reading from the um, 2017 leadership playbook. Uh-huh. In, but when the year was completely different and the, the surroundings were completely different. When things don't go that well, you really find out a lot about people. And I'm not just saying that's the case mm-hmm. for Telvin, but I'm saying it, 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 it could be. So Now, do you think it's a situation where they're thinking, all right, this is it, you know, we'll see on Telvin, and then see, you know, we could always move Miles over there to that uh, position I, in the I future? Don't know. I, I, I don't know enough yeah. about what they're thinking. You're, this is just rumblings. This it's is just rumblings, innuendo you know, that's floating around. Innuendo yeah. at the owners' meetings, mm-hmm. talking to certain people. Back, back room know. negotiations. Yes. Dusty, exactly. smoke-filled rooms. Actually got a lot of information on, uh, um, more so kind of on the field, off the field from guys. that was very surprising. Hmm. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. Uh, really me, interesting. It's kind of personality. Personality background. Who's a handful. Yeah. Who busts their butt. Who, who doesn't. Who, I'm know? not going to put you in a, in a position where you have to where you have to out somebody here. And nor would I. But did, did was there somebody who you heard about who was uh, having their praises sung that uh, you maybe didn't expect or didn't think it would be that? that you much? know what? There's there were some guys that uh, uh, on the team that in my mind I just thought they were really good guys, hard workers, did the right things, leaders, and all this stuff. And uh, that are just simply not that. And mm-hmm. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Not that I would know. Listen, I'm not at every practice. I'm there around training camp. You don't get, you know, you, unless you're in there, you don't know. Yeah. So you just kind of The guys of in the locker room are the guys who know. And that's oh, absolutely. But it, I, I'm not in there. Um, and I'm not around those guys. So just there was just a few names that were kind of surprised me. Like, oh, he's not a good guy. Interesting. All right. We'll have yeah. that conversation off mic. Absolutely. What we you will. learned. Of course we will. Uh, lastly, I do want to talk about a uh, different football league, the Alliance of American Football, mm-hmm. that a couple of weeks into the inaugural season, they had to get the uh, Carolina Hurricanes owner to buy in as an investor, a um, couple hundred mil. Is that all? That's it. Uh, I think it was 225 million, maybe something along those huh. lines. Okay. Not even a big Powerball landing, but <laughs> it strikes me that even with CBS behind it and the NFL Network behind it, and with guys like Steve Spurrier coaching and um, you know some semi-recognizable former NFLers or fringe NFL players, you know Johnny Manziel's now trying to right. Right, chapter three of the Johnny Manziel professional football story. Uh, that this this league had every veneer of being able to be a spring football league that would last at some level. I don't even know if they're going to make it to the end of the first season. Yeah, I saw that. at this point. Oh, well, I think that uh, 
listen, it's 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 tough enough right now to get people to NFL games. Why the heck would you go to a one of those well, games? Well, why would you build a business model that relied on attendance over TV ratings and t and TV advertising if you're going, you know, you know the, the Orlando team is playing at the at the um, at the UCF mm -hmm. uh, football stadium, where what it holds fifty thousand or something. Right. You, you, they need to be playing at a place that has, you know, at, at like soccer stadium size. You know, right. Twenty five, thirty thousand, but set up so you have viewing all the way around, uh, and then you know, get creative in where you put the people. So it, so it looks like you're you're really doing a TV show that's, that's a football TV show, right? Uh, and I just it, I don't think in this day and age of seventy inch HD four K TVs <laughs> that you're going to get people to spend much money on sporting events that are either not the most important team to them, uh, and there can be several of those, I suppose. Yeah, a major league team that really matters, or a top college team that really matters to them. Or something that's, in essence, affordable family fun. You know that, that it's got to be one or the other. And if it's the if it's the latter, well, competition becomes less important. So, whether it's the XFL or the AAF or you know whatever other league wants to come along here, and I'll count arena football on that as well. Yep. Um, I think it's a tough sell if you're going to try to make it. Uh, a an uh, attendance-based thing. If you're trying to make your money off of attendance uh, in this day and age, if those games are on TV, do you think the uh, how big of a name do you think Steve Spurrier is? I mean, obviously, in our neck of the woods, he's mm -hmm. a big. But it gave them. I think it gave, it gave the league. A boost? I think it gave them tremendous credibility. Did it? Okay. Here's a downside to this, though, because Spurrier's team. I think they're like six and one or something. They've yeah. gotten off to a very good start. Obviously, the guy can coach. There's never been a doubt. Right. Uh, the, the guy can coach at the college level, and you know, eh. uh, NFL might have been slightly different. But but this is this is not NFL. This is you know this is uh, the next cut down. But they couldn't get workman's comp insurance for the players in Florida, so the Orlando team stays in a hotel in Jacksonville, then goes to Kingsland, Georgia, to practice. What? Because they can't, for practice, have their guys insured against injury. Golly. So that's, <laughs> that's and, an issue. And as you know, when, you, when you're practicing, bad things can happen. Yes, no doubt. And in fact, um, wow. one, I of did the, not know that. one of the things that uh, brought down the Jacksonville Tomcats, the, uh, the first arena football league team uh -huh. here in Jacksonville, was that they did have... Uh, workman's comp and that players who realized they weren't going to make it to the NFL would suddenly get injured while playing interesting and then the team yeah and and that wound up becoming a very expensive proposition because you know your workman's comp you're paying into that as an employer then you got to replace that guy on the roster so uh, just one of those things that uh, the NFL doesn't have to worry about because of the size and scope of the league and the popularity uh, and the money much of it coming from TV sponsorships, TV right. advertising. What does the NFL have to worry about? What do you think they really worry about? That's a great question. Um, in the short term, um, I don't. I think something unforeseen, uh, a, a a seed change in public consciousness of some kind, whether right. it's with the head injury, 
situation or you know e even the whole thing with with the kneeling controversy didn't really impact no, the league that much but it probably impacted them more than they expected it to probably caught them by surprise but listen the nfl is always going to rebound yeah you know they reacted to it obviously yeah. well, and like in the jacksonville we were struggling we were struggling weren't a very good franchise weren't you know doing all of a sudden we hit the kneel down thing and everyone's leaving mm -hmm. well we start winning games and then yeah, everybody's everyone's coming right back right you know yeah uh i so i mean is a is a scandal involving NFL owners in massage parlors going to take down the league? Nope. Nope. Is if a couple of players, you know, getting arrested for domestic violence here nope. and there, does it? It's. It, I won't say it's. It's. It's a fool's errand to say that you're bulletproof, uh, as as any business. Um, I do think that gate attendance, and the way that those things are viewed from an important standpoint is one area of vulnerability for the NFL. When you only have nine or ten home dates, nine for the Jaguars, right. we leave London out of it, um, including preseason, you're vulnerable. Because if you have a couple of you know, bad gates, all of a sudden that really impacts things. Now, the way that the collective bargaining agreement works, where all these league revenues are shared, are pooled, and then divvied up, it, it keeps things pretty well in balance. But when you're baseball and you have 81 home dates, you can make up, you know, you, sure. you sort of build into your, your pro forma rainouts and, and, you know, bad weather days are going to chase some people off or wh whatever else uh, there is. So I, I don't know. What, what do you think? What is the, what is the, you know, the biggest I, I'm threat? At the, owner, the reason I ask is because, you know, I was at the owners' meetings and was at a lot of the presentations. One, when Mr. Goodell got up and different vice presidents within the organization. NFL's organization talking about the future and, and it's kind of a state of the union yeah. where we are and where we're going and uh, but a couple of things uh, they uh, they talked about obviously the future's bright in the NFL but there's two things they're doing everything they can for more fan interaction as far as technology mm -hmm. um, and then meaning uh, in the stadium in the stadium on the the uh, devices mm -hmm. whether it's um, and uh, just having a much more of a fan interaction where there's access to really the game in so, the stadium on the tablet. Just there's uh, so the, better the Wi-Fi thing. They don't really talk about the gambling, but that thing's come. That's coming. That, that by the way, interesting. That's going to help the league. Be huge unless there becomes a gambling scandal, which I I'm not saying it can't have. We saw it in the NBA with uh, you know Tim Donaghy, the referee who right, was referee. But I, I don't even. I don't think that that a gambling scandal is likely to make a big. Because um, that's probably going to happen, right? There's going to be some. Point, there'll be something. Be something. Somebody will get, will make bad decisions and go. The for NFL the money. also talked about the the global reach mm -hmm. too, uh, China and they, and. You I'll know, tell you, Mexico. I'm glad you brought that up. It's really interesting. I'm glad you brought like, that, that up. That is, it's like manifest destiny. We're gonna have we're gonna have games all over this, all over the world. That might be. The number one risk to the NFL is over yeah. is overreaching. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about the difficulties of having a permanent franchise in London, in London. or somewhere else. Uh, I there. I'll take soccer as the example. It is as much of a worldwide sport as there as there can be, mm -hmm. but it's broken up into regions. You have Concacaf and so forth, which is the uh, Confederation of um, the the soccer 
governing bodies in, in sort of this hemisphere the, yeah. in, in the United States and uh, South America and the Caribbean. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, Europe has their own um, UEFA, Africa's got theirs, Asia. So you have all these sort of like states of, of soccer that have different leagues within them and different organizations within them. Um, and every, you know, if you're a fan, you can still watch a game from the Premier League here in right. Jacksonville, Florida. You can watch Chelsea play Arsenal. Um, but, it, you know, how engaged you are and how invested you are is going to vary quite a bit. I think having a team, I, I think finding a team that is your team, where your heart is in it, is very difficult mm -hmm. when you don't have a first-hand experience with that team. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, I, and I often talk about the way that fans connect with players, but fans connecting with teams is even more difficult to, to pin down. If it's not your hometown team, or it wasn't your dad's team growing up and you rooted for them because your dad, or whatever that, you know, you have that sort of uh, first-hand connection. I think uh, over-expanding and trying, you know, getting too big for your britches might yeah. be the number one uh, risk uh, for the NFL here in the next five or ten years. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, we're going like to work on the spreadsheet. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll roll out a pro forma. We'll yep. get uh, the EBITDA worked mm. out. Nice. And, nice. Uh, and see how the bottom nice line works. work looks. on the EBITDA right yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. Thanks. Just drop that for you. Uh, and <laughs> once I figure out what that all means, I'll, uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> All right, you can uh, always subscribe to Teal the Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. And you can always find Teal the Podcast on the sports tab of newsforjacks.com. Invite your friends, let them know, share on social media. And um, if you'd like to interact with us on social media, you can. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Cole Pepper, and Mark is occasionally on Twitter at M underscore Brunel 8. Yes, that's it. And uh, feel free to fire us off a question, comment, or a thought, whether it's on the draft. We will have more draft coverage coming up as we get closer to the draft, less than a month away now. And uh, then into the offseason, the, uh, the quiet times of OTAs and minicamp before uh, training camp rolls around in uh, late July. Welcome back. Good to be home. Great to be here at Casa de Brunel. Casa de Brunel on the Ortega River. Beautiful. I'm going to the pool. All right. You want to go? You saw the pants roll, right? Absolutely. All right. Yeah, during on weekdays. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to Teal the Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time right here. See you.